Well, I want to welcome you to Crossroads Church, whether this is your first time joining us or your longtime attender of Crossroads, I am so glad that you are here. Uh, this is a unique, unique experience. I'm going to tell you, this is a little bit weird, uh, preaching and teaching from a corner in an open room. I mean, uh, over here, so there you are, yes, it's super good. And so, um, I want to welcome you. My name is Matt Manning, I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's a privilege of mine to open God's Word with you uh, today as we look to God in the midst of uh, what we're going through, that we are starting a brand new sermon series today called Disrupted. And the truth of the matter is, is that every single one of our lives in this last week has been totally disrupted. I mean, it was just 12 days ago, March 11th, on Wednesday morning, early in the morning, I jumped on a plane to head to Cincinnati uh, to head to my parents' house. I was meeting my brother, my dad, my nephew, a cousin of mine, and an uncle, and we were all planning on going to Nashville for the SEC basketball tournament. It was a trip that I had saved an entire year for, and I was looking forward to a fantastic boys' weekend there. That night, we were watching basketball, enjoying each other as, as the news started to come in, and the normalcy of our lives began to shake. That Wednesday night, I, with probably most of you, tuned in and saw President Trump somberly sitting behind the resolute desk addressing this nation on the seriousness of the coronavirus. That all of a sudden, all of a sudden, business as normal was giving away to a pandemic that would ultimately require new rules to live by. The next day, on Thursday morning, the sports world entirely shut down. And as the news continued to come in that afternoon, I realized that, that I probably needed to get home. And so I called Frontier, made some arrangements for a flight out Friday morning. And that morning, Friday morning, while I was sitting in the airport waiting for my plane to take off, I called Pastor Tim. And Pastor Tim, just so you know, is not only just a great preacher and pastor, but he's also our tech and production guy. In fact, he's like the reason that we're doing any of this online. And so I'm incredibly grateful for him. But I called him that Friday morning, and I said, man, Tim, we ought to think about what it might look like to do services online. Well, I jumped on my flight. Three hours later, I landed, and the decision was obvious. For the first time in our 60 years, we needed to cancel in-house services and go almost entirely, or not almost, certainly entirely to an online uh, service. Since then, schools, businesses, government buildings, uh, medical facilities, bars and restaurants have all shut down. Day after day, we've watched the the stock market spiral further and further, wondering where the bottom is at. That we've seen here in the United States things that we maybe never thought that we would see, like walking into grocery stores with them completely out of toilet paper and, and chicken. The anxiety and panic is at an all-time high. And not only are we dealing with the medical and physical realities of, of what this virus brings, but we're also dealing with what it's done to our, to our normal lives. In every sense, in every sense, our lives have been totally disrupted. And as we, as we look towards the future, as we look towards the future, if we were honest, if we were honest, the only thing that we see is uncertainty. And in that uncertainty are, are questions, aren't there? For some of you, you're dealing with the fear and the panic in your life, and, and your question is, is, what do I do with this fear? What do, what do I do with this panic that's consuming me? For others of you, you, you feel the weight of the uncertainty, maybe pertaining to your job or even to your health, and as you look out to the future, you wonder, how, how am I going to make this? How, how am I going to get through this? 
And for all of us, as we, as we watch the panic and the fear overwhelm this world, as the death toll rises, every single one of us, at, at some point or another, every single one of us has asked the question, where's God in this? Where is God in this? Now, this last week, my wife, Sarah, was at Walmart picking up a few things uh, for us at the store. And as she was walking through the Walmart at Thornton, uh, she stopped and she snapped a picture and she sent me this picture that I never thought that I would ever see, at least in my lifetime. That this is a picture from, from Walmart on 136 and I-25. This is their Bible and devotional aisle, completely sold out except for a few copies of the Bible. Seemingly, everybody is looking for God. That we're all wondering, where is God in this moment? That whenever uncertainty grabs national headlines, isn't this true? That God has a way of grabbing our undivided attention. There's just something about when things go bad, when, when, when uncertainty arises, when, when the end of a chapter, the end of a life, when we start thinking, is this the end of the world? That when all of that uncertainty starts to happen, there's, there's something that causes us to look up than simply looking around. And no matter how spiritual or unspiritual we think that we are, in uncertain times, we start to look for God and wonder, God, where are you at in this? All of us wonder, God, God how could you allow something like this to happen? And I want you to know, whether you're a believer or not, those those are fair questions to ask. Those are fair questions to ask today. And it's in those moments that, that make this book more relevant than maybe they have been in our entire lives. See, all of these stories in, in this Bible were written in uncertain times. Every single one of them. And maybe for you this week, if you were honest, this was the first time in maybe a long time where, where you actually opened this up. See, that's what makes this, this Bible so relevant to our lives now is that, that if you're a believer, that your favorite Bible story, whatever your Bible story is, your favorite Bible story was written in moments of uncertainty and in times of, of questions. And as we move through this, and as we look at this, we, we say, look, the, these questions that we're asking today, these are, these are not new questions. In fact, these, these questions that we're wrestling with, even today, were, were questions that, in, that have, been, that have been, been questions for people for, for thousands upon thousands of years. Even in Jesus' time, people wrestled with these questions. So if you have your Bibles at home, I would love for you to go ahead and grab them and turn to John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, uh, man, I would uh, encourage you uh, to just simply go online and to, with your tablet or your phone on your computer, and download an app. There's awesome, plenty of awesome free Bible apps all around that you can. But if you don't have a Bible today, don't worry about it. We're going to put the verses on the screen. John 11 is one of those stories that is written in times of uncertainty and in times of, of questions. It's a popular story that you might have heard of. Jesus is out doing his thing, he's doing his ministry, and he gets word from Martha and Mary, two of his dear friends, that his best bud, Lazarus, their brother, is very ill and on the verge of death. And when Jesus gets word of this, it takes him a few days to get to Bethany where Lazarus is, and in fact, he actually delays his trip by a few days. And by the time that Lazarus gets to, gets to Bethany, I'm sorry, by the time that Jesus gets to Bethany, uh, Lazarus has already passed. They've already had his funerals, they've wrapped his body in cloths, and they've laid him in a tomb. And it's right there 
right there where we pick up the story in the midst of this uncertainty, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this tragedy in verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her that I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Now, as I read this story, I can't help but think that where Mary and Martha are at, that they are in the same place where many of us are today. That they're, unlooking, they're looking at the uncertainty and they're looking at the tragedy and the pain and they look to Jesus and they say, hey, how, can we, how can we make sense of all of this? And Jesus, where were you in this? How could you, how could you let this happen? Why didn't you do anything? And as we watch Jesus wade through the tragedy and the uncertainty and the pain, He helps us answer the questions that we have on this day. Where's God in all of this? And in this story, Jesus helps us see where God is at. And he wants you to know that that God is, is not distant in this moment. That God is not emotionally detached from our situation. That we see it so clearly in the heartbreak of Jesus. Did you catch it? Did you see it? It happens when when he comes to his friend Mary, Lazarus' sister. He comes to her and she falls to his feet and she begins to weep. And and like her sister Martha, she looks up at Jesus and and she says this deeply profound theological statement. She says, Jesus, if if you were here, this would have not happened. If you were here, he, he would not have died. In other words, why did this happen? Where were you? You could have stopped this. And you, you didn't, Jesus. You didn't stop this. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. 
because this is such a perplexing moment in Scripture. That as Mary says this to him, that Jesus can't, he can't even really respond. He starts crying and weeping himself, and the only thing that he can say is, where is the body? Where did you bury him? It's such a perplexing moment in Scripture, and yet to understand it reveals so much about God, particularly in the midst of suffering, and in the midst of uncertainty, and in the midst of pain. Why did Jesus weep? I mean, if you've ever read this story before, have you, have you ever asked that question? I mean, why did Jesus cry? I mean, Jesus knows why this has happened to Lazarus. He even knows what he's going to do about it. I mean, in like 10 minutes, he's going to raise this dude up out of the grave. So not only does he understand why, but he actually also has the power to do what he says he's going to do. That he has both the knowledge and the power. Two things that, that rarely we have in the midst of our own uncertainty. So why the tears? I mean, if, if I was Jesus, I would have totally just skipped the tears I would have sat back, snapped my fingers Thanos style, watched Lazarus get up out of that grave, and then watch all of the jaws of the people around there drop to the grounds. Why cry? Why cry? See, right here, we see the heartbeat of God. That in this moment, we see the perfect love of God. That even though Jesus, as God, can fix this in this moment, he refuses to shut his heart down. He refuses to remove himself from the grief and the pain and the heartache of his creation. That in this moment, Jesus does not see that it's enough simply to fix the situation. He also emotionally enters in. Now listen for a moment. Don't believe for one moment that God is sitting in his throne on heaven with his arms crossed laughing at the situation that's unfolding down here. As if he's some kind of Greek God from Greek mythology. That the scriptures tell us time and time again that when we weep, God weeps. That God is no mere observer to our pain. He participates in it with us. He suffers alongside us. And as we watch this story unfold, not only do we see Jesus weep, but we're also told that he's, that he's greatly troubled and, and deeply moved. Did you catch it? It's in verse 33 and verse 38. And when we read, when we read those words that he, was, that he was greatly troubled and deeply moved, oftentimes what we do when we're reading the story is that we put it in the context of sorrow and grief because it makes sense. He's, he's at a funeral. And yet the Greek words there don't actually don't actually go to sorrow and grief, but the Greek words there actually mean to snort with anger, to have indignation, to be mad, to be angry, that Jesus in this moment, in this situation, he's angry, he's mad, he's upset. And the question that we have to ask in the midst of this is, is what is he upset with? Who's he upset with? See, when uncertainty and suffering enter into our lives, enter into our world, our natural tendency is to get mad. It is. And oftentimes, when, when that uncertainty reigns, we, we look for someone to blame. And we either look up and go, God, this is your fault. Or we look around at others and, and, we, say, and we say, it's your fault. 
But when uncertainty enters into our lives, when the, when the questions begin to, to stack up, this indignation fills us, this anger fills us, and we say, we say look, it, it's their fault. And I'm telling you, as I've watched the news this week, and as I've paid attention to social media, I've watched both of these create or creep into our narrative. That the truth of the matter is, is that any time we go through situations of uncertainty, Anytime we, we have the questions begin to pile up, what we naturally do is begin to write a narrative to help us understand. For some, as they're writing their narrative, they're, they're blaming the Chinese. It's their fault. I mean, the major headline this week, don't let the Chinese government escape blame. <laughs> blame them. It's their fault. As I've watched through social media, others I've seen say that, that this is God punishing us. This is God punishing the world. It's, it's his fault. Now, let me just say something real quick. It's maybe a little bit tangential, but, but I, need to, I feel like I need to say it. That that's not the way that God works. This isn't Job's friends here. The suffering is not a sign of God's punishment. That Jesus came not to remove suffering. He came so that we would understand that when we suffer, we are becoming more like him. That suffering is not the absence of God's presence in our life. Suffering is the means by which we become more like God. It's why Paul can say, rejoice in the midst of your suffering. To which when we read that, we go, Paul, are you crazy? And yet Paul says, no, 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 no. That you can rejoice in the midst of your suffering because even now you can know that your suffering is not wasted. And so when Jesus comes to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, he's not mad at, at those who are, who are weeping as if they, had, they could do something more than what they already did. And he's certainly not mad at himself as, as God. Who's he mad at? That who God's mad at in, in this moment, he's, he's angry at death. He's angry at the tomb. That death was, was not a part of the original plan. But it's this intrusive abomination that has slithered its way into our existence, into our lives because of sin and the sin of others. And it's right here in the midst of God's sorrow in this tragedy. In the midst of his anger at the tomb, that we see the hope of why Jesus came. It's what he tells Martha right here at the beginning, that I am the resurrection and the life, and that whoever believes in me, though he will die, surely shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this? See, what Jesus is saying is, is that out of the cross comes real life. That out of weakness comes real strength. That out of repentance comes, comes real peace. That out of serving comes real community. Out of generosity comes real joy. That's the gospel. See, the, the truth of the gospel isn't that one day that we'll be whisked away to heaven as if this pain and suffering has no point. But rather, when we finally taste glory, when we finally taste heaven, we will see that it was all worth it. In the words of C.S. Lewis, the great author, he writes this, that some mortals say of temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. 
not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. See, we can all sit back and we can ask the question, where is God at in this? We can even say, God, what are you doing? It doesn't look like you're doing anything. When the reality is, God has already done everything. That because of your sin and my sin, God saw the chaos of this world. He saw death's fingers wrapped around, wrapped around our lives. And he was not willing to leave us there. And so he looked to his son and he said, go, go get him, go rescue him. And Jesus comes in and he, and he lives the perfect life. And he goes to the cross to die for your sin and to die for my sin, to die for the forgiveness of sins. And then three days later, just like his boy Lazarus, he walks right up out of that tomb, proving he is who he says he is. And then he looks, even to us, some 2,000 years later, and says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. That whoever believes in me, even though they die, surely they shall live. Do you believe in this? The Bible's so clear. It says that if we believe this in our heart and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, then we're welcomed into heaven, that, that we're made sons and daughters, children of the God most high. And so the question, where is God? He's right where he's always been, right in the middle, sovereign and good. And see, when our hearts begin to grow tired, when we begin to grow weary and, and we cry out, enough is enough. <laughs> and we'll all be there. At some point in the next few weeks, we'll all be there. Enough is enough. That in those moments, we have to fight the tendency to believe that God's sovereignty is cruel towards us. And rather, the fight of faith in that moment is to believe, to trust, to feel that all that God is and all that God does that in all things, God is working it out for our good and for his glory. Even, even if we happen to reach the end of our story in this earth, on this earth, before we see how. If you've never trusted Jesus as your savior, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that today. Very easily, if you're on our online campus, there's a little button that says make a prayer request. If you click that button, we have a lot of people just waiting to pray for you, waiting to walk you through that situation. I would encourage you, if you're making that decision right now, to, to click that button and we'll meet you there. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we come to you, Lord, in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of questions. God, and the first question that comes to every single one of us is, is where are you at in this? Lord, so often we, we get lost in our own situation, unable to see anything beyond ourselves. Lord, and we just simply need to be reminded that you've always been at work, that you've always been right there in the middle. Lord, that when we weep, you weep. 
Lord, when we suffer, you suffer. Lord, when we get angry at the tomb, you're angry at the tomb. And Lord, unlike us, you could do something about it, and you did. You sent your son Jesus into this world to die for sin so that we might have life. And so for that, Lord, we give you thanks. Lord, we know that you are in control, that you are sovereign. We know that you are good. And Lord, that we know that you are in the midst of, of what's going on right now in our world. And Lord, we, we cry out to you. Lord, needing you, depending on you. And so Lord, I pray that, that you would meet us there. That your presence would overwhelm us. That your peace would overwhelm us. And Lord, that no matter what we face in this life, that we, like Paul, would go, we will rejoice. For you are good. God, that's where our trust is. That's where our hope is. We give this to you, knowing that you love us and we love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen.